Well, hey everybody, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Day and an incredible opportunity for us to slow down, to pause, and to think about what Christmas is all about, to think about what the real meaning of Christmas is. And over the last month at Good Life, we have been doing our Advent series called Christmas Renovation. And we've been hearing some really hilarious stories and illustrations as we delve into looking at this whole idea of renovation and the invitation that this Advent season is for us to do a renovation work on our own hearts and what it means for us to join God in His great renovation that He's doing in the cosmos, on this earth and through all of humanity. And so I want to thank our other speakers that have been bringing messages and I hope that what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes will be encouraging and uplifting to you. Now, I don't know what your favorite Christmas carol is, but one of my all-time favorite Christmas carols, and it like gets me every time right here, it doesn't matter whether I'm hearing a traditional version or a modern version, but it's the classic song, O Holy Night. And the lyrics of the song are very powerful. They, and the lyrics of the song read, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world, in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I love that line that says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You know that song, O Holy Night, was written by Placide Capau, who was a wine merchant and poet and in 1847, he was asked by his local uh, Catholic priest to write a poem for the Christmas Eve service. And so he did, and inspired by the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, which we're going to read in just a moment, he actually wrote the lyrics to this song, O Holy Night. Interestingly then, he approached a friend of his, Adolf Adam, who was a composer, and asked him to take his poem and put it to music. And we have now the worldwide famous carol, O Holy Night. It's profound. But interestingly enough at the time, it, it was sung for the first time on that Christmas Eve in that year, but many people didn't like it. A lot of people thought the music was in bad taste and that it was way too secular. And I think it's amazing how sometimes we first hear something and then what goes on to actually have a profound impact in the world. I wanted to read to you from the passage of scripture that inspired the song, and it's Luke chapter 2. And in verse 8 it says, and this is just after we read about Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary about to have her baby, and they find an inn where there is a uh, animal manger. And uh, Jesus is born in that manger. And then in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour 
rests. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like we're in a time where we have a weary world. Uh, I don't know what your situation or circumstances have been personally, but the last few years, uh, the last three years has probably been a challenging time uh, for much of the world. Obviously with COVID, in Australia, we'd had a lot of bushfires, we've had floods. Again, we have flooding in our nation up in the Cairns region. And around about us, we have all kinds of challenges like the war in the Middle East and the war in the Ukraine and Russia and so many conflicts that are taking place around the world. We are in a time that's incredibly expensive. We've got, even on the beautiful Sunshine Coast, we've got a large amount of homelessness. We have um, unprecedented pressures that are on people. And in this time, it's easy for us to feel weary. We can feel weary from the battle of facing our mental health challenges, whether we're facing um, the weariness of anxiety or depression. Anything that's come into our life could be an addiction, it could be a challenge, could be relationships uh, that are strained. And this whole idea of a weary world rejoicing can sometimes feel a little bit foreign to some of us when we're feeling weary. And the idea of weariness and rejoicing going together just seems like, how's that gonna work? And so I wanna take a few minutes to talk about this idea of how can a weary world rejoice? And obviously the context of this, uh, of this message and what we're talking about today is the birth and the arrival of the Messiah. And in the passage that we just read, one of the key verses that I wanna focus on here, it says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Now, if there's anything that's gonna make someone who's weary rejoice, it's gonna be good news, something that they've been longing for, something that they're hoping for. And it says here, this good news is gonna bring great joy for all people. This is not just some people, this is all people. And he says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. In other words, he's the one that people have been waiting centuries for, that the prophets spoke about. One who would come and would bring about a great renovation. Now that word renovation, that's a word we've been using over this month of December. That's not a word that's actually in the scripture. The word that's in scripture that's normally used is the word restoration or redemption. The idea that the Messiah would come and he would restore and redeem all things. He would, he would make all things new. Every, everywhere where there is um, wickedness and where there is corruption and where there is evil leadership, this Messiah is going to bring about a new way. He's going to bring a new government. It's a, it's a new way to be a, a leader. And we realize and, and we've discovered that through the life of Jesus, his leadership was nothing like the leaders of this world. He actually turned the whole idea of leadership upside down from being like a, a power down idea to using power at the most grassroots level to serve and to give away this power to empower other people. And Jesus' entire life was all about serving others and bringing about restoration and healing. Another way of saying it is making things right. And I think this is a beautiful picture about what renovation is all about. Something was created, it's become broken or it's not the way it's intended to be and it needs to be renovated, it needs to be fixed up and, and made like new again. 
And so in this context, Jesus comes along and he begins this great renovation. And he began this work through his teaching. It began on this Christmas morning. His teaching, his life, everywhere he went was part of this great renovation. And then ultimately his death on the cross and his resurrection life, which ushered in what scripture calls the new creation. You might say this is the great reveal where we pull back the curtain and we see, look what God has begun. We see the world as it was, and now it's a new day dawning. And this is what the hope of this song, O Holy Night, is all about. And so I want to very briefly share with you four um, thoughts around this idea about how Jesus is the great renovator. And the first uh, idea that I want to share with you is this. First of all, Jesus came to reinstate dignity or restore status to all people. And he did this first and foremost for the poor, for the marginalized and for the unseen. Now we see right here in this Luke chapter 2 that three times it says that Jesus was born in an animal manger. Now, why would Luke, the author of this book, go to the trouble of emphasizing that Jesus, the promised Messiah, this, this coming king, is going to be born in an animal manger? It, it sounds like a pretty weird story. If you're going to make up a story about a future king who's going to come and reign and rule throughout the world, you're probably not going to write down, he's going to get born in a stinky animal manger. But what Luke wants us to catch is the fact that in this story of Christ and his coming to earth, that he came to live amongst the poor of the poor. He came in a humble way. He came for those who feel marginalized, for, for those who have no place to lay their head. He came, we read, and appeared to the shepherds. Shepherds did not have a high status in their day. Their, um, their voices were not valued in a court of law. They were considered like a lower status in their society. And yet, in the story here, Luke wants us to know that it's the angels who come and appear to them and let them know about this saviour who happens to be born in an animal manger. The overwhelming emphasis that we see here in Luke's entire gospel is that Jesus comes for the outcast. He comes for the poor. He comes for the marginalized, those people who have been forgotten. So let's remember that first and foremost, Jesus comes to reinstate dignity and restore status to all. Part of his renovation project is to say, it's time to include everyone. And no matter who you are, no matter what your situation or circumstances, through this gospel, this good news story about God in human flesh, he's come, he's revealed himself to those who are on the margins. And he says, you get to be included in this wonderful renovation. Our lives can be renovated and we also get to be part of the great thing that God is going to do and he's gonna to reveal to everyone. The second thought that I wanna share about a weary world rejoicing is this idea that Jesus came to rescue as the savior. Now the word savior literally means to save, but also to deliver. The, it's the idea of deliverance, the fact that we're, we're bound somehow and Jesus comes and actually delivers us from something that is containing us. And it's often in terms of, uh, you think about the Exodus story of the children of Israel who are in slavery in Egypt, and then God raises up a deliverer for them in Moses, and he leads them out of their oppression. 
And this is the idea we see also in Jesus coming at Christmas, is that he came to rescue, to save, to deliver us from our sin and from our guilt. Now, the idea of sin and guilt for lots of people has been misunderstood and misused at times, but the word sin literally means to miss the mark, to kind of go off the path of intention. And so the invitation is that Jesus has come to actually rescue us from the consequence of us uh, walking away from God's intention for the how we're to live our lives. And you and I know this, that every day we make decisions and choices and our decisions and choices have got consequences. Uh, if we actually sow something good, we generally reap something good. If we do something kind to someone, they reap kindness. But if we do something unkind to someone, that has an impact on not only someone else, but also on our own hearts. And so the call of Jesus and the gospel and to his disciples is, come and turn away from that old way of thinking and living. In other words, turn from your sin and actually embrace the way of life. This is how Jesus comes to deliver us. And he ultimately comes and he offers us forgiveness because we have this inherent part of our uh, lives and our personalities where we often carry guilt for the things that we have done and the things that we have said that actually causes harm to others. And when you recognize the impact of your sin on yourself and on others, it's very easy to feel guilt and to feel shame and to feel condemned even and to feel like we deserve bad things to happen to us. We, we deserve this punishment. And yet a weary world rejoices because Jesus as a savior comes as a deliverer who offers us forgiveness and says, you may feel that you deserve this, but I'm here to show you that I'm going to forgive you despite what you've done. And he absorbs, we know, even on the cross, the sins and the violence of the world upon himself and yet looks out from the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I think it's one of the most beautiful words that we can remember at Christmas and also as we lead head towards Easter. So Jesus comes to rescue us. He comes to deliver us. And he comes to deliver us not only from our sin and our guilt, but he even delivers us from those desires in us that want to sometimes move towards the things that are not God's way and actually give us the desire to actually move towards the light, to move towards his purposes for our life that brings about love and mercy and compassion and ultimately shalom, as is the Hebrew word for peace. So that's the second thing uh, that we can celebrate and rejoice in as the weary world rejoices. The third thing is Jesus came to transform us to love as he shows us what love looks like. This is the idea of Jesus coming to transform our hearts from the deep need in us to want to be right all the time and to actually tell everyone else how we're right. Instead of us having to be right all the time, Jesus transforms our heart in such a way that we can be a light rather than have to prove to everyone else that we're right. Now, there's ever a time in the year, there's a, Christmas time is that time where we get into conversations, we get into debates, we talk about politics or we try to avoid it, or we talk about whatever the hot topic is at the time of the year. And it's very easy for us to get up on our high horse and to want to convince other people why we're right. 
As a matter of fact, not only do we want to convince other people why our ideas are right, or why our faith is right, or why our picture of God is right, or our view on how the world should work is right, we often actually want to convince other people when we've been, when we felt wronged, how we are right. And this whole convincing can actually bring about a massive amount of weariness. It can be exhausting. It's exhausting trying to convince everybody else that we're right all the time. And Jesus comes to transform us in such a way that we actually love others the way he loves us. One of the most powerful things we can do is to not just try to prove to other people why we're right, but to actually show other people by our lives how God is making us right. And by that, I don't mean in some status way that I'm made right and you're not right, but actually we're talking about the renovation of our hearts, the renovation of our minds, which brings about a humility, which brings about a grace, which brings about a compassion, where we don't have to compete with others. We don't have to try and convince everybody else. We actually get to rest in being who God is making us to be. And that is a beautiful thing. And there is no greater example for us to look around how to be transformed to be more loving than Christ himself. And clearly, once again, at Christmas, we look forward with anticipation to the power of what the cross at Easter is all about, where we see love displayed in the most incredible way. Sacrificial, cross-shaped love. And Jesus invites us to walk that journey of loving people the way he loves people, including people, breaking down all the barriers that society puts up that separates us and instead joining him in breaking down those barriers so that we can actually engage in reconciled, restored relationships. What a beautiful thing. And I'm sure a weary world wants to rejoice at this happening more and more. So that's the third thought. And the fourth and final thought is this. Jesus came to reinstate dignity and restore status, number one. He came to rescue and deliver us as our saviour. He's come to transform us to love as he is love. And number four, Jesus came to invite us to join God in this great restoration of all things, the scripture says. And we do this by bringing our full selves all the broken parts of our lives and joining God on his team renovation. And one of the great pieces of good news that we need to catch hold of today is the fact that very often we rule ourselves out of joining God in the renewal of all things or the great renovation because we think we're not ready or we're not good enough. But here's the amazing thing about the gospel. When Jesus, this little baby grew up, he decided to gather some disciples, some students, some apprentices, and I tell you what, they were not ready. They were not the people that you would pick to be on Team Jesus to do a renovation job on the planet. They were probably all the wrong people. They were a real bunch of misfits. And I love this picture because Jesus begins working with them, working inside them on their hearts, and then inviting them, sending them out to actually do his work while he's still working on their character, while he's still working on their hearts. And this is exactly what Christmas invites us to do, is to join God in what he's begun in the world in this new creation. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite art pieces in the world comes from the Japanese art process of restoring what is broken, and it's called Kintsugi. 
It's the idea of broken pottery that uh, when a piece of uh, pottery, it could be a bowl, when it breaks, a Japanese artist would come along and they would use a combination, and we've got a picture here to show you of what this looks like. They would use lacquer mixed with powdered gold, silver or platinum. And instead of disguising the cracks and the imperfections, this particular technique of this Japanese art form of Kintsugi actually highlights and embraces these parts by turning the broken pieces into something more beautiful and valuable than the original. And I always think of this as just the most beautiful picture and metaphor of what God is doing in Christ for us as individuals in restoring us, in not so much hiding the broken parts of our lives, but actually restoring them in such a way that even when people see our scars, when people see our brokenness, they see it through a different lens. They see it through the lens of restoration or a great renovation. When you look at me in my life and when I share my life with people that know me, I tell them about the hardships, about the broken parts of my life, about mistakes that I've made in the past and how God in Christ has come by the power of his spirit and he's done this great kintsugi work in my life where he's picked up these broken pieces and he hasn't discarded them. He's actually brought them back together and he's begun his renovation process. And as he pieces together the parts, his beauty is in how he joins it all together. And someone sees the full story of my life, but sees it through the lens of redemption of how God takes all those pieces and then reuses them for his purposes. And so my invitation to you this Christmas is this. Would you be open to allowing God to do a renovation work in your heart? Would you allow God to take the broken parts of your life and not throw them away or discard them, but actually bring them together and do a healing, restoring work in your life in such a way that your story of forgiveness, of grace, of restoration will inspire others that God takes the broken parts of our lives and restores us in such a way that we then are invited to join God in the ongoing restoration of the world. And your life doesn't have to be all perfectly put back together before God begins that process. So this Christmas, may we remember, oh holy night, Oh, holy night, the weary world rejoices because a new day has dawned. Christ, the Savior, has been born, the great renovator of the whole cosmos, the great renovator of our lives and our hearts. May peace and grace pour into your hearts and lives this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray for every person watching right now, part of our Christmas Day service. Lord, first of all, I want to thank you that wherever there's weariness in our lives, you have good news to bring to us of peace, of refreshment, of restoration, of healing, that you want to come into the parts of our lives that are not working well and you want to heal and restore and make all things new. And Lord, this Christmas day, 
May we remember that you invite us to join you in the great restoration project of this entire world. And Lord, may we see day after day, even at lunchtime today, even at Christmas dinner today and the days that follow, that you are at work in redeeming and restoring us and you invite us to join you in the restoration of relationships, reconciliation and bringing your peace and your good news to all. I thank you that we as weary people can truly rejoice in the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We give you thanks on this wonderful Christmas day. Amen.